Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. The reading today is from Zechariah 2, 1-5, 10-13. I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited like villages without walls because of the multitude of people and animals in it. For I will be a wall of fire all around it, says the Lord and I will be the glory within it. Sing and rejoice, O daughter Zion, for lo, I will come and dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord on that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all people, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The reading, the Revelation 21, 1 to 8, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See? The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more mourning and crying, and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also the Lord said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the Thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithful, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, 
the idolaters and all the liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg this morning comes from True Christianity, Section 1. People in the church who love what is good because they believe what is true, and who believe what is true because they love what is good, are angels of heaven with regard to the inner levels of their minds. After death, they come into heaven and enjoy happiness there according to the relationship between their love and their faith. It is important to know that the new heaven that the Lord is establishing today has this faith as its face, doorway, and summary. Here ends the reading. Behold, I make all things new. I think our translation says see, but the old school word is behold. It's a little more fun. In this revelation, God told John that he was going to make all things new. Now, I don't know if many of you know how long ago the book of Revelation was written, but it wasn't yesterday. In a literal sense, this is written in a, a present tense. It, it, I guess if it was supposed to happen literally, it would have happened a long, long time ago. But when oftentimes people read it, they read this book in a very literal sense saying, tomorrow is going to be the day that Armageddon is going to happen. We spend all of our times looking, not we, I shouldn't say we all, many do, many spend all their days hoping, looking for some sign that apocalypse is near. Because, and I, I really think this is true, I don't think anybody wants the apocalypse to happen because the apocalypse is fun. People want the end result, right? We want, we want that new Jerusalem, that picture of happy living. And if we can just get through the apocalypse, things will be so much better. But this happened a long time ago, and I, I can't help ask myself the question, what's, what's so new? Now, I want to say, I wanna, we have cars, we have airplanes, we have cured many of the diseases in the Bible, but with every disease we cure, a new one seems to surface. The Roman government, and I don't know how many of you know it, most of the book of Revelation is actually written literally about the Roman government. The Roman government fell. And all of a sudden, the people were not free. There were still governments. There, in fact, if you're not aware, there is still death, poverty, and war happening in our world. I'm assuming most of you know that. People still cry. It would be easy for us to say that the book of Revelation, which if you've ever tried reading it, is a very difficult read. In fact, so much so, most churches don't like to read from it. They kind of say, yeah, it's really important, but we're going we're gonna to just hide it over there behind the curtain. We're not going to talk about it. 
It's a very difficult text. Some say it's just a bunch of malarkey. Others just pick out the parts that they want to talk about. It's a unique type of scripture. And the book of Revelation isn't the only place that it happens. Both Zechariah and Daniel and some other places have these stories of death, doom, and gloom that are apocalyptic that people use at every difficult time in their life. Because whether or not we want to admit it, life is difficult. Apocalyptic literature helps us deal with some of that difficulty. But it's too easy for us just to throw it away because there are some really odd things. There are some odd things about plagues and pestilence and and difficulty that, that we generally don't want to look at. We have to do a lot of work to understand the book of Revelation. We have to approach it, and it takes effort. Now, some might say, well, I don't have a seminary degree, and I haven't spent my life studying the Bible, so I I just don't want to deal with it. But here's the thing. We all actually do this type of work that we need to do to understand Scripture all the time. But we don't do it with Scripture. You see... We have the Ten Commandments. Most of us know this, right? We, mo- we know the Ten Commandments. And we say things like, well, take thou shalt not steal, for instance. Now, we all know it's not okay to steal, but then when certain times come up where our covetous natures get the best of us, we're okay with stealing a little bit, right? Like, it's okay. It's okay to buy things from the Internet and not report those things on your taxes, Right? It's okay with that. We're we're good with that. It's okay to not pay the tax that we're legally supposed to buy. And we're like, but if I buy it from the internet, I don't have to pay sales tax. Now they're starting to catch on to that, right? They're changing laws and so forth. But before we could do that. Well, I save this much money by buying it online because I don't have to pay tax. Not to mention the fact that that tax is what pays your firefighters to come to your burning homes. That tax pays for our high-quality Boston streets that I got to drive on a lot of to get around the race this morning. Right? We don't view that as stealing because clearly the government doesn't need that money because we don't have all sorts of underfunded social policies and social programs that just need that money. But we we find ways to say, oh, This is the reason why it's okay for me to act this way. When we approach scripture, we oftentimes want to dismiss it very quickly by just saying, oh, that's what the the surface of it says. I don't want to deal with the implications of it for my life. But But when we want to serve ourselves, we oftentimes have no problem. Well, I like to call it the Robin Hood syndrome, right? It's okay to do something bad as long as you're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. But here's the thing. No matter a person's economic station in life, whether they are rich or poor, they always use that as a justification. 
that somehow their life is more important than the person who they are sitting next to. The world is full of tax shelters, tax laws, and a variety of legal means for people to get out of paying their portion of benefit to society. Many of us, almost all of us, whether or not we want to, can feel like we're the center of the universe. One of the reasons is because we are the only ones who we truly understand because we're the only ones, we are the only ones who we hear the thoughts of. Other people, we don't hear their thoughts. We don't hear their pain. We don't know what's happening behind the backgrounds because we rarely, when we say, how are you doing, really want the right answer. We want, things are great. Most of the time we ask that question, how are you doing? It's in passing, and you don't want to actually hear the life story of the person and the weight that is pressing down on them because all of us have weight that is pressing down on us. We just live on the surface. So because I want to make something new today, I have something a little different a little video, and I want to tell you I'm not a biologist, um, so I might mispronounce things. I might say something that is not exactly right. If anyone out there is a biologist, you can correct me later. Please don't correct me while I'm talking. And for those of you who do not know much about plant biology, do not take what I am uh, going to say as as 100% truthful because I am not a plant biologist. So with that, a leaf. I'm going to talk to you about a leaf. Why? Because it's flat and something we see every day and don't really think about. This, for instance, is a redwood. They are huge, they are tall, they are old. And a leaf looks relatively simple. But as we go towards the leaf, we are looking in the scale of centimeters at, we get closer and we find something called a stoma. Now, if you do not know what a stoma is, it's like a pore. It's a pore that oxygen and carbon dioxide go in and out of. We enter the stoma and we go to a millimeter magnification. The big globules are palisade cells, they're floating orbs, they're translucent, they capture the sun. As we go through all of these cells, we are going to a micrometer scale as we enter one. The shapes and sides, or angles, I can't even pronounce it, bright globules inside of each globule. Their yellow tubes, endoplasmic reticulum studded with ribosomes. I thought biblical language was hard. Eventually, we go inside, and in here, we enter the chloroplast where photosynthesis takes place. Things in this slide are moving one million times slower than in real life. 
I don't know if you can see all the little things bouncing around. Inside on the molecular level of a leaf, something that oftentimes looks completely still, it is moving faster than we can even comprehend. And as we get closer, we go into nanometers and we see proteins bonding with energy carriers and the sun warms them up, causes them to move and as they bounce around, it gives the plant the ability, the foundational ability to make oxygen that we all bleed, breathe. Now, how many of you, when you look at a leaf, see what we just saw? There. Huh? Well, hope, I made something new, hopefully. Hopefully, the next time you look at a leaf, you will understand that there is a world inside that leaf, a world that you don't understand, but that even though you don't see it, you can know it's there. Now here's something, if anybody has studied any biology, and I know we have at least a nurse in our congregation, that stuff is happening inside of you as well. It's happening inside every skin cell of the person sitting next to you. It's happening inside your lungs especially that have gas exchange that is being created within that plant. The person sitting next to you, even if you don't want to think about their background, about whether or not they may have been raised in an abusive home or loving home, whether or not they had a financially stable upbringing or not, whether or not they have been a victim of systemic prejudice or not. Just on a biological level, inside the person sitting next to you, there is a whole world of things happening that you don't see. Little tiny things inside of you happening millions of times faster than you can process. Things happening in you, like gas exchange, that touch the person sitting next to you in a way that you can't even conceive of. Your life and the person's life next to you is intimately connected in a way that you cannot possibly understand. Today, Swedenborgian churches celebrate what we call Holy City Sunday. Swedenborgians are kind of weird. We are not waiting for the Battle of Armageddon. People who read Swedenborg understand that the story of Revelation is happening right now. God is present. God is with us. The second coming has occurred and is occurring, and it occurs to the degree that you let God into your heart. The Ten Commandments are not surfacy like the outside of a leaf. They are deep. 
like the actual essence of a leaf. To not steal is about more than simply not doing something that you might get arrested for. I remember sitting down with a man when I was teaching class on the Ten Commandments, and he looked up at me at the end of the class, and he said, I I thought I was a pretty good person, but now I realize I have a lot more to do. Because he started to realize that stealing meant also having respect, or not having respect for the person next to you, to take away that person's human dignity by not treating them with respect is also stealing. Does that make sense? So if you're going to not steal, it means you have to treat the person sitting next to you with respect. Stealing is not just about the things of this world, but about the spiritual realities that lie deep, deep within us. Victor Frankl, in a book called Man's Search for Meaning, actually recounts the fact that he remembered having good days when he was a Jewish prisoner in a concentration camp. Because he realized while he was there, and he studied this while he was there and wrote this book, that happiness is not 100% based on what the world gives you on a surface level. He found that people who actually sacrificed themselves by giving a sick person their meal for the day, those people were happy, would have good days from self-sacrifice. Not only that, the people who were willing to sacrifice and be respectful, not only of the other prisoners, but of the guards as well, they lived longer. What Viktor Frankl argues is that when we have respect, compassion, and care for the person sitting next to us, we are tapping in to what God has given us. One might say that we are actually receiving the river of life and that we are transforming this physical world into something new. Today on Holy City Sunday, we can continue to constantly wait for what is new. We can keep sitting on our benches and seeing nothing change, or we can embrace a reality that what we see is profoundly deeper than we are willing to acknowledge. And we can do the deep work within our hearts that we might bring the love in us to other people so that we are the descent of the Holy City. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.